Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. God created you for abundant life, and he longs for you to experience contentment, joy, rest, a life of creativity and generosity and fullness. But of course, abundant lives don't just happen, they have to be cultivated. We become who we are, for better or for worse, through our habits, through the things that we do over and over and over again. So what habits are shaping you? Throughout the centuries, Christians in uh, many places have cultivated a rule of life. And in that context, the word rule means trellis. And this structure back here is a trellis. A trellis is a, a structure that trains a vine to grow upwards so that it can flourish and be fruitful. And a rule of life is a set of habits and boundaries and limits that we construct so that we too can flourish and bear fruit. So this winter we're examining our trellises and hopefully we're, we're beginning to replace some toxic destructive habits with some healthy life-giving habits. Every week since the series began, I uh, people of all ages have shared with me some changes that they're making, some habits they're re-examining, young people removing apps from their phones and turning off notifications, busy parents finding ways to carve out rest in their week, intrepid volunteers re-examining their commitments and learning how to say no. A friend emailed me this past Monday to say that she had accidentally dropped her phone in the toilet Sunday night. It's one way to apply the sermon, I guess. Last week, we said that attention is the beginning of devotion. One of the ways that we show someone that we love them is by giving them our sustained and undivided attention. Of course, the trouble is we live in an age of distraction that constantly trains us to shift our attention. The attention span of Americans has been shrinking for several decades now. Uh, over the last 15 years, it's shrunk from 12 seconds to eight and a half seconds. And just for reference, a goldfish's attention span is nine seconds. <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> That's real. This is not good. If you, if you want to live a life of abundance, a life with God, a life in which we notice him and rest in him and delight in him throughout our day, if we want to love well, we need to be attentive. And we become attentive through silence and solitude by ruthlessly eliminating distractions, focusing our attention as both an act of rebellion in our culture and an act of renewal because it leads to joy. We don't cultivate spiritual habits in order to make God love us. We cultivate spiritual habits in order to get in touch with the God who already loves us so that his love becomes more and more real to us. Spiritual habits not only focus our attention, but they slow us down. And that's what I want to talk about today, this idea of a slow-down spirituality. You know the difference between snacking and feasting, eating on the run versus sitting down to savor a well-cooked meal. When we snack, we often do so mindlessly. Maybe you're watching a show and eating a bag of chips, and then suddenly you look down to find that the bag is empty. 
Where did they all go? You ate the chips, but did you enjoy the chips? Maybe for a little while at the beginning, but after a while it just became mindless background eating, a compulsion rather than a source of enjoyment. When we eat on the run, it's usually because we've, we've overbooked ourselves and we're just trying to keep from crashing in the middle of a day. But it's not really eating, is it? It's more like downloading calories. And really, how much joy can one derive from a protein bar anyway? I still can't decide if it tastes like birthday cake or Play-Doh. This past Tuesday night, a bunch of us gathered over dinner to dream about new small groups, and everyone brought something to contribute to the meal. Salads teeming with snappy vegetables, crusty ciabatta, homemade challah bread, meatballs and red sauce, beef and barley soup so good you thought you'd died and gone to heaven. The meal took hours to make. You couldn't possibly do it justice by shoveling it down your gullet while hauling down I-91. You do a meal like that justice by smelling it, anticipating it, tasting it, savoring it, scraping your plate clean with a piece of bread. And as you do, all sorts of praises leak out of you involuntarily. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, that's good. There's a huge difference between snacking and feasting between eating on the run and savoring a meal. And I wonder which describes your interactions with God. Do you glance at God while you're on the run or slow down to savor his presence? Do you snack on God's word or feast at his table? For the past few years, we've celebrated Thanksgiving with friends. As people gather, the Cheese and crackers, the croissants and wine come out just to whet our appetites for the real feast. We sit down to a cornucopia of smells, colors, textures, tastes. We linger long. After some digestion, we go for a walk. Then gather around the piano for a sing-along and hot apple cider. Finally, the cream is whipped and the pies are revealed. By the time it's over, we've spent seven or eight hours together or more. What would it say about our friendships if we scarfed down some turkey and mashed potatoes and then parted ways? It would make them feel cheap and disposable, like we were in each other's ways, like we were an impediment rather than a source of joy to one another. And I wonder how often we make God feel like an impediment, like a roadblock that we have to navigate before we can get on our way. A distracted life is an itchy life, a frenetic life that's always eyeing the next thing. A distracted life is an anxious life. I can't slow down. What if I fall behind? What if I miss out on something? I wonder to what extent our ever-present distractions and fear of missing out are teaming up to erode our ability to linger long in one place, to give something or someone our undivided and sustained attention, to engage all five of our senses. I wonder if we're being formed into people who know how to snack but don't know how to feast. 
who know how to eat and run but don't know how to savor an experience. And I wonder how all of this is impacting our discipleship, our relationship with the triune God. The theologian Marva Dawn calls worship a royal waste of time. Royal because it's majestic. A waste of time because when we worship, we put our egos, our ambitions, our agendas aside. Grace Vanderwall sings, I love wasting my time on you. Do you love wasting your time with God? He loves wasting his time with you. He loves breathing with you. He loves lavishing his affection on you. He loves calling you his child. He loves sculpting your soul, securing you with his love, settling you down with his peace. God's unhurried presence is no more an impediment to your well-being than a house full of food and good friends on Thanksgiving. Jesus longs to be with you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God says through the prophet Isaiah, listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. Do you believe this? God is inviting us to renounce our drive-through spirituality and cultivate a slow-down spirituality. Today we're going to meditate on a psalm that invites us to savor God's glory in the world and in the word. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. They reveal something of God's power and creativity and beauty and eternality. Encountering this revelation is profoundly life-giving because we were made for glory. This past July, we began to receive images from the Webb telescope. The level of detail has far surpassed expectations. Check out these slides. I mean, these are just two-dimensional <laughs> projections, and yet... month ago, uh, Bill Porter was leading devotions at an elders meeting. 
when he said this to us, he says, I have spent more time viewing the sky this fall at numerous times of night than ever in my life. A great inner amazement and awe of the magnitude of God as the creator of the heavens and the earth was rekindled and expanded through my observations. Looking at the moon, planets, and stars frequently over a period of months, my appreciation of the magnitude and greatness of God and his creation has exploded within me again and again. The heavens declare the glory of God. God's glory is on display in creation, whether we zoom out to take in as much of the cosmos as we can, or zoom in to behold the intricate beauty and complexity of a single creature, or cell, or atom. I love plants. One of my all-time favorites is ladies' mantle. It has these soft, fuzzy, serrated leaves that are extremely hydrophobic, which means water tends to gather and pool on the leaves and just kind of hang out there hours after all of the dew has evaporated from the grass. Isn't that magical? Another favorite of mine is Astrantia. The individual flowers are only about an inch wide, and yet there's a, there's a universe within every bloom. One of the longest psalms, Psalm 104, is an explosion of praise to the God who creates and sustains the rich diversity of life on this planet and all of the complex systems that nurture it. Poets like Mary Oliver and Wendell Berry, who are so attentive, so attuned to the natural world, have a way of shaking us out of our slumber and awakening us to the reality of God's glory all around us. They invite us, as all good poets do, to slow down and notice. One of my favorite Mary Oliver poems is called Moths. I'll read part of it. She says, there's a kind of white moth, I don't know what kind, that glimmers by mid-May in the forest just as the pink moccasin flowers are rising. If you notice anything, it leads you to notice more and more. I love Wendell Berry's poem, The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives will be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in the beauty of the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things, who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. The heavens declare the glory of God. The Psalms invite us to notice, to delight, exult, rejoice at the glory of God and creation. One of the ways that the modern world malforms us is by keeping us out of nature. Do you feel this? Most of us spend the vast majority of our time indoors, in man-made environments, buffered from the elements, oblivious to the sky above, from our climate-controlled dwellings, we erase time and space and de-incarnate ourselves through our devices. 
giving ourselves the illusion of control and power over this vast universe. This illusion makes us impatient and irritable whenever we bump up against people or things that we can't control. It makes us resentful of those who make demands on our time or energy or attention. Now contrast that with the awe and wonder we experience in nature when we see ourselves against the backdrop of an ocean or a wilderness or a cosmos that we cannot tame nor control. The author of Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Nature begets awe and wonder, which in turn begets humility. Who am I that you're mindful of me? How is it that the author of the night sky knows my name? The wilderness cultivates not just awe, wonder, and humility, but also patience, resilience, gratitude, perspective. Whether you look up or look down, zoom in or zoom out, the physical world is teeming with abundance, with fecundity and functionality, breathtaking beauty, mind-blowing diversity and intricate detail. It all declares the glory of God. It reminds us that we are creatures, small and dependent, part of a larger whole, and yet somehow known deeply and intimately by the creator of it all. How often do you slow down to take notice? The psalmists and even our modern poets are inviting us to slow down, to put down our devices, to leave our man-made environments and immerse ourselves in a glory-saturated world at our doorstep. When was the last time you looked at the night sky? or rolled over a log in the woods to see what was underneath? When was the last time you drew your hand through a ripened seed head or wandered off the trail to follow a scent or a sound to its source? When God placed Adam in the garden, he told him to name what he saw. A name begins a relationship. A name cultivates familiarity. It gives us a hook on which to hang our observations and experiences and collect them. How many of the birds and trees and wildflowers in your neighborhood can you name? How many constellations can you name? What creatures inhabit the ponds and streams near your home? What's in the soil beneath your feet? We are ensconced in glory. It's all waiting for you. Waiting for you to slow down, to take notice, to breathe it in, to savor it. Andy Crouch begins each day by going outside, no matter the weather, to remind himself that he is a creature. We don't have to know everything that's happening everywhere in the world. We don't have to know who said what, who tweeted about this or that. But we do need beauty. We do need transcendence. 
we do need to be reminded that the world does not revolve around us. That we are a speck on a speck on a speck in a universe we don't control. And yet somehow we are loved by the author of it all. How can you slow down this week to savor God's glory in creation? The second part of Psalm 19 invites us to savor God's glory in the word. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. (laughs) The language in this psalm is so emotive, isn't it? God's word is refreshing, joy-producing, radiant, pure, precious, sweeter than honey. It almost sounds like a really good restaurant review. Like, come and taste it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Psalm 19 is inviting us to renounce fast food spirituality and cultivate a slow-down spirituality to move from snacking on God to feasting. Slow, meditative reading is an act of rebellion in our culture. Heck, reading at all might be an act of rebellion. 57% of Americans didn't read a single book this past year. The average American spends 17 minutes a day reading books and three and a half hours on their phones. Those numbers are a little skewed because more than half of U.S. adults spend at least six hours a day on their phone, and teenagers average between seven and eight hours on their phone. Anne Mangan, a researcher from Norway, reports that reading from screens trains us to read differently. In a manic skip and jump from one thing to another kind of way. She says we're more likely to scan and skim when we read on screens. We run our eyes rapidly over the information to extract what we think we need. But after a while, she says, if we do this long enough, this scanning and skimming bleeds over and begins to impact how we read on paper. Eventually, scanning and skimming becomes our default mode with every medium. Another feature of our highly mediated world is that we come to view information as disposable. I mean, nearly everything we read online has a shelf life of about one or two days, and then that's it. Becomes irrelevant. Our media ecosystem is designed to lack both depth and permanence. And this transience, this weightlessness, makes deep reflection and meditation completely irrelevant. If you've been shaped by the Western Protestant tradition, chances are you've been taught to read the Bible for information. What can I learn from this passage? But David in Psalm 19 isn't looking for information, is he? 
He's looking for wisdom and beauty and for God himself. The purpose of the Bible isn't to make us smarter. It's to help us to know God intimately and personally, to draw us into deeper communion with the source of all joy and life and love. This requires a different kind of reading than the skimming and scanning kind or the kind that is content to simply glean a few new facts. It requires slow reading. Reading not for information, but for transformation. Reading that draws us into the heart of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with studying the Bible to try to understand what it means. As long as we recognize that the kind of reading that's modeled for us in Psalm 19 and other places in Scripture aims much higher than that. Twice, God tells one of his prophets to write something down on a scroll and then eat it. It's a picture. Taste the word, God says. Swallow it. Digest it. So that my words become assimilated into your being. So that you, prophet, become the message, not just the bearer of the message. The goal of slow reading is to let God's words sink all the way down into the center of our being. And change who we are. How do we do this? There's a rich, rich history in the Judeo-Christian tradition that goes back thousands of years of, of sacred reading, slow reading. We could spend a year mining jewels from this tra tradition, but today I'm just going to offer you a few tools. There's no uh, one-size-fits-all approach to slow reading, but I hope um, you can take at least one of these ideas and begin to work it into your own life and rhythms. First off, if you do not have a Bible and you would like a Bible, stop by the Welcome Center before you leave today and we will give you a Bible. Kind of, you know, basic, you know, first, first things. Um, start with silence. Find a quiet place where you can be free from distractions. Turn off your phone, remove it from sight. Slow down. Be still. Focus your attention on God. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and to give you the mind of Christ. If you're just beginning to read the Bible, I highly recommend starting with one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These are people who did the work. They either spent time with Jesus or they investigated, talked with eyewitnesses, recorded things that Jesus said and did. This is a great place to start because in many ways Jesus is the key to understanding everything else in the Bible. Choose a short passage of Scripture. For instance, one psalm. The text between two headings. Most Bibles will have headings introducing a new scene or a new theme. A single paragraph in one of the letters in the New Testament. Reading long passages or entire books is great if the goal is to kind of see the big picture and how all the parts fit together. But if the goal is to deepen your communion with God, then a short passage is best. Read the passage slowly two or three times. I would encourage you, if you're not going to drive people around you nuts, to read it out loud. You will engage more of your being if you read the text out loud. 
You might even read in a two or three different translations. But the goal is to slow down and let the, let the word steep in you. You might take out a journal and make two lists. What does this passage clearly reveal about God? What does this passage clearly reveal about me or about humanity in general? Next, meditate on the passage. Now, the word meditate can be intimidating and misleading. Misleading because some forms of meditation encourage you to try to empty your mind of all thought. That's not Christian meditation. The goal of Christian meditation is to focus your mind on God and his word. Meditation can be intimidating if we assume that it's a special skill that you can only develop with years and years of practice. While we can certainly grow in this practice, the reality is we already know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. If you know how to ruminate, you know how to meditate. If you know how to replay a comment or a conversation and turn it over again and again in your mind, you know how to meditate. When you meditate on something, you chew on it, you examine it, you bring it down into your heart. Your intellect, your curiosity, your affections all work together on something simultaneously. Tim Keller says that to meditate is to talk to yourself about God in the presence of God. So after you've read a passage of scripture slowly, more than once, you've reflected on what God is revealing to you, you make it personal. How is God speaking to my heart today? Why is God showing me this particular truth today? What is going on in my life right now that I need this truth today? And then finally, respond in prayer. How can I praise God on the basis of this text? How do I pour out my heart to him? What destructive attitudes and behaviors arise in me when I forget this truth? What do I need to confess? How is Jesus able to help me to overcome these sins so that I can do God's will? And what might it look like for me to carry this truth with me into the rest of my day? Now, all these tips for slowing down are in a handout that's available at the Connections table. It's, really, it's just our daily scripture readings. We produce them every month. You get the scripture readings on one side. On the other side, it says how to, have, how to spend time with God. And so it's there. You can pick one up today. It's on our website. You can go to thecollegechurch.org, and then under the Resources tab, just click Daily Scripture Readings. You can download this whole template. It's there waiting for you. An ancient practice of slowing down with Scripture, which I won't describe in detail now, is, is called Lectio Divina. Back in 2021, Elizabeth Rotich taught a crash course in Lectio Divina, which we recorded. And the link to that class is printed on your take-home, so you can check that out today if you're curious. But let me just offer you two encouragements. Number one, you don't have to do this alone. Now, it may just work out practically that most of the time you read the Bible, you're alone. And you're reading and you're meditating and you're responding in prayer by yourself. 
but you don't have to do it alone. And if you're not already in rhythm, I would just urge you to open the treasure trove of profundity and blessing and wonder that comes from reading scripture with other people and just nudge you in the direction of trying to do that at least once a week or a couple times a month. And small groups are a great venue for practicing that. Second encouragement is that these are just tools. If they help you to slow down, wonderful. If they stress you out, if you find them distracting, that's fine. Don't focus on the technique. Focus on the relationship. Focus on the person. Focus on slowing down and being with God, talking with him about the text, about what you see, about what you're thinking. Savoring God's presence, tasting the sweetness of his word. Richard Foster says that slow reading of scripture is about depth, not breath. It's a way of allowing the mind to descend into the heart so that both can be drawn into the love and goodness of God. That's the goal. The heavens declare the glory of God. The word of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. What is one thing that you can begin to put into practice this week that will help you to slow down and savor God's presence in his creation or in his word? What's one habit that you can cultivate that will lead you into greater stillness and wonder and joy and abundant life? Could you write that one thing down? Maybe now, maybe later today and share it with one other person?